above his name. And so let's stand in honor of God's word and let's read here. The elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. And Father, as we turn to your word, God, would you cause your word to come alive in each one of our hearts? Lord, may your word settle in that it would bring life and change and hope and purpose and meaning. Lord, that your word would cut into our hearts and that seeds would take root and fruit would be born in our lives that other people could partake of. So Lord, bless our time here this morning in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Church tradition places this last letter written by John in 96 AD. So this is what I want you to think about. If this is the last letter written by John and he's the last living writer of the Bible, then these are God's last words for you and me, the church. You might be a little shocked with how it all ends. This morning there's two heroes and there's one zero in this letter from the last apostle living to this man named Gaius. Now who Gaius is, no one really knows. He could be Paul's traveling companion. We read about that. Paul baptized him. It's possible, and he, he followed Paul on his evangelistic journeys. And if that's not the Gaius, then this could be you and me, a relative nobody in the big scope of things, because I don't think people on the other side of the world know you and me, you know, like they would say, you know, Billy Graham, or people in Calvary Chapel circles like Pastor Chuck. So if this isn't written to Gaius, then this could be written to you and me. Someone who God knows, someone who God has his eye on, someone who God is watching, taking note of the things that you and I do for his kingdom. And and that should be good enough for all of us as we zero in on and find these things that we want to be found in doing as heroes, but not doing as a zero. And as we 
travel down through this, I'll point out the zeros and the heroes, and it's pretty obvious as we make our way down through here. But as we go through this, if there's any zero blood running in our veins, oh, we've got to do business with God. Because you and I, we want to be found in this passage this morning as a hero. So John writes here in verse 1, the elder, either in age or in position, no one really knows. Guys will write like they know, but then somebody else writes, and so I don't know. But we know it's the Apostle John. Everybody agrees on that. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And we talked about this last week, how love and truth is inseparable. This is so critical in our lives today, that love and truth never get separated. You know, in the last days that we live in, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, perilous times are going to come upon the church, and those in the church are going to constantly be seeking to separate love from truth. So we got to be careful. See, if they do that, if the church allows love and truth to be separated, then they can make the Bible sing any song they want it to sing. You know, all of a sudden it's like, well, no, I, I just don't have to do that. Or I don't believe that. Or yes, I see that, but that's, you know, that doesn't apply to me today. And all of a sudden we start changing God's truth. And we certainly know that's how it's going to be like in the last days. Men will be assembling themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. These last days, love will take center stage as people in the church will be in love with themselves like no other time of history. Oh, how is that possible? I don't know how much time we spend on Facebook, MySpace, and looking at ourselves. Look, I'm not saying anything bad against it, but look, we, we are living in this generation that Paul wrote about 2,000 years ago. And we are in love with ourselves more so than any other time in human history. And the truth, well, the truth is going to be dismissed as a form of godliness, but Paul writes about that, having a form of godliness, he's writing to the church, but denying his power. Well, how's that possible? Because love got separated from the truth. And now we just make it what we want it to say. See, it's no longer about laying my life down for others and serving the Lord. No, it's all about, it's, <laughs> what is good for, say it, me. And I understand it's an epidemic, but it doesn't make it right. And we have to guard against that, or we're going to be caught up in this whole wave. You know, truth will be dismissed as, well, that's just what you think. But this is what I think. But team, it, it isn't about what you and I think. It's about what God has written. So we've got to guard against this. We've got to keep love and truth at the center of our life, knowing that love is a verb, it's an action word, and truth is only found in Jesus. Remember? Jesus, Pilate. Jesus says, I'm the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? You know, when Jesus comes back in Revelation in chapter 20, chapter 19, his name is the word of God. So this is where you and I, we want to be found. We want to be found in the Word of God by being in Jesus. And being in Jesus and being in love with Him 
can never be separated. Beloved. And that's, I hope that's how you feel your, see yourselves. Beloved. You know, I love you, Barry. <laughs> I mean, I would hope that we see ourselves that way as a family. I mean, it, I mean, that's the church, how it's supposed to operate. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And there's nothing wrong with John praying this for Gaius. There's nothing wrong with me praying this for you. The Greek word for prosper means to have a successful journey. <coughs> Oops, sorry. <coughs> I was just waking you up. So think about this. The word prosperous means to have a successful journey. It'd be like, hey, have a prosperous journey on the way to the Philippines. Pastor will be praying for you. That's what prosper means here. And God certainly wants you and I to have successful journeys in his life as we walk with him. And then he says, I pray that you be in health. And please, I hope you're praying that for me. If God wants to do a hat trick of surgery in my life, I'm good with that. His grace will be sufficient for me. But, you know, there was 2016, there was 2017. I kind of like a break in 2018. But, hey, God knows what he's going to do. But this is a valid prayer that we would be in health. Certainly, you and I, I sent it out, we should be in prayer for Claudia, who not only went to the ER, but now she's back. We got to pray for her. We, we got to believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to pray that he would touch her and that God's grace would be sufficient for her and her weakness. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Now, before we move on, though, please notice that the Holy Spirit has, leaked, has had John link material things and health with a prosperous soul. Look what it says. I pray you may prosper in all things and be in health. That's over here. Just as your soul prospers. I think it's safe to say that if my soul prospers, whether I have good health or a successful journey, I will be okay. But if my soul is not prospering, and I fixed my attention on financial prospering as it's going to be in the last days, I'm in, I'm in trouble. I'm becoming a casualty of the last days when mankind will not only be in love with themselves, but then Paul writes, and in love with money. There's a part of the church today that preaches that God wants you to be rich and never get sick. And if you're not rich, you lack faith. And if you're sick, well, you don't have, you got sin in your life if you're sick. But listen, their soul is not prospering when they preach that stuff. No doubt their bank account is prospering when they preach that stuff. Otherwise, they'd never preach the stuff. But let me give you one thought here. If their message on giving was true, to, that you want to give to get, which is coveting, by the way, they're working off of coveting. If their message was true, then why don't they do the same with all of their money and invest it into God's kingdom, and then every Sunday when you show up, they give you a check. Hey, here you go, here you go. See, they preach an inconsistent message. They use verse 2 as one of their mantras to carry that out. But it's inconsistent, and here's why. Because they've separated truth from love. And when you do that, you become a lover of money. 
and your soul is no longer prospering. And like I said, it's another sign of the last day's church of what it will be like. But for you and I, and I, I trust that you all know that you are the beloved of God. I, I've been praying, verse 2, for you for this about this all week, that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Those are valid prayers. Those are valid prayers for you young people to pray for one another. They are. Well, what should I pray? Well, I want to pray according to God's will. Well, here you go. It's a valid prayer. It's the prayer of the last standing apostle to a man named Gaius. I would think it'd be pretty effective and pretty fervent. Verse 3, signs of a hero. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I mean, nothing better than people who are able to see Jesus in your life. And then they give a secondhand report about you to someone else. I mean, that's, a, that's crazy. That's good. Yeah, he not only speaks the truth, but he also lives it out. And someone tells you that. Hey, someone said this about you. You'd be totally stoked. And this is where we want to be found in these last days of craziness. Testifying of and walking in the truth is really just our reasonable service back to Jesus who gave, us his, who gave his life for us. You know, John writes to guys, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. As a dad, man, that would, that's all I cared about, was my kids walking in truth. Again, this is secondhand information. John has heard from someone that Gaius is living out his faith in Jesus. Secondhand information is awesome as long as it edifies. Secondhand information that is not edifying is the most damaging of all. Hey, did you hear about? That's poison. But John is writing to Gaius and is informing him that he's heard that his walk with Jesus is real. It has no wax. It's authentic. It's true. His talk matches his walk. It's legitimate and valid. And this is where we all want to be found, team. More of what a hero looks like in verse 5 here. Beloved, and that would be beloved Gaius. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. Most commentators believe this is what's happened. John sent Gaius to wherever Gaius is at. And Gaius and, and the other man that we'll read about here, Demetrius, they blessed him. But there's another man there, Diotrephes, who, who wasn't a blessing. He, he, the, and most believe he was an elder or a pastor of a church. And he didn't even receive these men that came from John. And so they bring back word to John, hey, John, there's a problem over here. This diatra disaster guy, he's got problems. So John writes this letter to Gaius, first of all, about himself, but he's going to eventually write about Diotrephes. But most commentators believe that's how this letter came about. And so he writes to them, hey, you do faithfully whatever you do for brethren and for strangers who've borne witness of your love before the church. Here's what you need to know. They didn't have no motels back then for travelers to stay in. 96 AD, the church is under intense persecution by Caesar Nero. People are running for their lives. Where do you live? Where do you go? It was up to the believers to open their homes. 
to those people fleeing for their lives, but also traveling evangelists and pastors and prophets that would come through town. See, the, Paul would go and preach the gospel and, and, and people would get saved and he'd be there a few weeks and say, hey, you're the elder. Boom, and he's gone. But then others would come through there and teach and encourage them, the new fellowships. See how easy it was for the false prophets and the false teachers to kind of blend in right in that? And so they would follow behind Paul. Paul would leave and they would kind of wiggle their way in seeking to bring confusion. And so John is telling Gaius, man, Gaius, you're, you're doing it. You're knocking it out of the park here. You're doing a great job. Whatever you do for strangers and for these traveling evangelists and prophets and teachers. And it was up to the local believers to house them and to feed them and to take care of them. Because if you didn't, who would? The world's not. So Gaius is really just doing what Jesus had already told all of us to do. Out of our love for God and our love for people, well, that's all God's called us to do. That's, Jesus said, look, just do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's all of the Old Testament. That, that's what he's looking for from you and I in loving others. Practically loving others for them involved opening their doors and caring for them. The same way you'd want someone to care for you if you were on the run. And Gaius, I want you to know that people in your town are talking about you. They're saying good things about you. You're involved in people's lives. And that's where you and I are supposed to be. Because Jesus said we're, he called us to make disciples. So you're nailing it. You know, as I was working on my study this Friday, last Friday, I had this crazy thought. I went looking for commentators to see if anybody touches it. They don't. So <laughs> you can take this crazy thought any way you want. But think about this. As far as Gaius is concerned, this guy that the Apostle John is writing a letter to, as far as he's concerned, I believe he's just getting a letter from his friend John. They've met somewhere. And I believe all he knows is he's getting a letter from John. He doesn't know that this letter is going to end up in a book someday called what you and I would call the Holy Bible. Think about it. Someone's writing a letter about you. All of a sudden, it ends up in the Holy Bible. See, I don't believe Gaius knows that this letter that John is writing is inspired by the Holy Ghost. I don't, believe he, I don't think he knows that. Now, this kind of causes me to think like, if you knew your works for God and your lifestyle were going to be published in the Holy Bible, what would it say? Would you change anything? If you would, you need to change it right now. Not, not well, let me work on that. No, you need to change it right now. Would you be stoked about what is written about your life? Because this is just a guy that John is writing about. And yet here he is. 2,000 years, give or take a few years later, we're reading about him. It's crazy. I think God could write books about our young people if they flow with his program and not their own. Because God's looking for those who will be loyal to him that he could write books about them someday. Because if the church today doesn't preach a true gospel, then who is? The world is. And they're redefining who we are. Gaius, you do faithfully 
whatever you do, and that is what God is looking for from all of his kids' team, that's it, faithfulness. It's not faithfulness to what I know. No, it's faithfulness to what you know. That's all God's asking of us. I have to be faithful with what God has shown me and enlightened me as I go through the word of God. But then you have to be faithful to what God has enlightened you and shown you in the word of God as well. I mean, that's why we teach all of it. Because eventually we want to be, well, we'll never know it. Because right when you think you know it, you realize how much you don't know. But, but we're just responsible for what God is showing us. And you and I are called to be faithful to that. And for Gaius, that was practicing hospitality. God takes notice of the actions of Gaius here because he's really practicing the, the love of the brethren and there was this tremendous need for that to happen back then. Today, though, the actions may be different. You know, we got hotels, motels. But today, a young girl may get pregnant. And, it's, and, her, and those in her house are saying, get an abortion, get an abortion. She's going, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you're out of the house. Well, the church has to step in and provide an alternative. Here, live here. See, we can't say we're against something without providing the alternative solution, which is, hey, come live with me. It's critical. Or, or the young person turns to Jesus and, and is told, either Jesus has to go or you got to go. Hey, the church has to step in there and house them. That's what they did in the Old Testament. Or, sorry, that's what they did in the early days church. The church has got to pick that up and practice hospitality like Gaius here. Even if it means we get burned a little. And we've been burned. But you know what? Better to practice and err on the side of mercy by obeying God's word than err on the side of justice and trying to judge people. You and I were called to make a difference in people's lives. Now that's only... One way to love others, if certainly if we're going to seek to keep the entire Old Testament, you just got to love others and love God. I mean, that's it. It's not complicated. Love is easy, but you have to give yourself away, and that's where it becomes complicated. Because love is not a feeling. That's another type of love. The love that we talk about when God so loved the world, it's a verb. It's an action word. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. And he gave his life away. That's what God's looking for from you and I, the church, to give our lives away. To follow Jesus. That's what he did. And you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and the stranger. Because that's what you and I are looking for. When we step into heaven, that's what you and I want to be able to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I mean, that's got to be what we're looking for. And that'll happen from being faithful to your Lord on the earth by practically loving the brethren. I mean, that's going to happen. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Obviously, talking about the traveling evangelists, the prophets, and the teachers that would travel from town to town. You know, they're preaching the gospel free of charge. So they have no income coming in. Now, there's a cult in the Philippines. They go out and they preach the gospel. And as soon as they preach the gospel, they're going, hey, now you owe me because I just shared the gospel with you. It's true. <laughs> Interesting. 
we shouldn't be charging to preach the gospel to someone. These guys weren't. And so it was up to church to support them and to help them out, to give them a place to stay and to take care of them. And if they're there in your town ministering for the Lord, Gaius, hey, thank you for providing of their needs. That's why, that's why John is reminding Gaius of these risk takers. They went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. So Gaius, when they come, just take care of them. In today's world, some missionaries could learn from this walk of faith by these in the early church. You know, we'll get a request for people like, yeah, we need $10,000 a month so we can go on our mission trip. Dude, seriously? Yeah, we need our retirement and our extra retirement and this retirement and this and that. Guy, I don't think anyone here lives like that. Verse 8 is why we want to be used in this way. Look how this reads. We therefore ought to receive such, I would underline, that we may become. This is, this is, this, this is like, if you grasp this, this is like, like the most killer truth found right here in these few little words. We therefore ought to receive such, these guys that are, that are going out and laboring for God's kingdom, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So as you show hospitality to those who came here to preach the gospel during Katrina, which we were, we were the Red Cross grief counselors, and guys came. It was the most epic spiritual moment in my life where God did a total revival amongst the black community in New Orleans. And for those of you who housed people that came and helped minister to them, or those of you who housed people who helped when people came out to help during Harvey or others that have come and helped us with sound over the years or evangelism, anything that was done in Jesus' name, as you've helped them, as you've opened up your hearts and your homes, notice what this says. You became fellow workers with them and you didn't even get dirty. I mean, think about how dirty some of us were doing Harvey. You're going to share in their reward when you get to heaven. They're laboring. They're getting all dirty and sweaty and sucking in mold fumes. And you're helping them get clean with a place to sleep. This is all hero activity, I must add. And God says, you've become a fellow worker with them. Man, that's awesome. We just taught 1 Samuel 30 on Wednesday night, and David and his men have come back to Ziklag. It's on fire. It's burning. His women and, the women and children have all been taken away. All their goods have been taken away. And so they go out after him, but 200 men stay behind with all the supplies. And so David goes with 400 men. They defeat the Amalekites. They get their women, their children, all their stuff back. And as they're coming back from that battle victorious, those who went to battle, the 400, said, hey, David, we're not giving any of the stuff back to those 200 that didn't go to battle with us. We'll give them their wife, their kids. That's it. And David said, no, no, no. Because those who go out to battle and those who stayed with the supplies are each going to receive the same reward. And that's, that's, what, that's what we see right here. This is the theology right here in First. In 3 John, right here, right here in verse 8. 
And the picture is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, because that's how the Bible's written. If you know the New Testament theology, you can find the pictures of it in the Old Testament. And so 1 Samuel 30 becomes a picture. Nope, give it, give it all out, and they give it all back. Whether you labor or you watch the stuff, according to the man after God's own heart, it's one and the same. Verse 9, a total zero alert. I wrote to the church, but diastrophes, or diastrophes, or whatever. I mean, I mean, I can't even fathom this guy. I mean, keep in mind that John is writing to Gaius. He's informing him. I've already went to the local church, Gaius. I, you know, guys came back. They told me I sent this letter to them. So I went to him in private. But I was turned down by this man here. So I'm calling him out in public. My letter was ignored by Diatrophes, who loves to have the preeminence among them. He loves to be the big shot. And he does not receive us as, think about this, John, the man who walked with Jesus as John includes himself here with the word us. I mean, can you imagine some in the church rejecting the apostle John? Nope. Man, good thing John didn't call down fire on him, you know, like he wanted to. Can you imagine? In a way you can, because they rejected the apostle Paul, and some for the church in the last days are going to reject Jesus as well. So John first wrote to the church. They rejected him. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 reads like this. Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Well, John did that in letter form. He was turned down. And it's obvious from this guy's actions that he's probably an elder or a pastor in the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, it reads like this. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. Well, no doubt this guy is sinning and no doubt others have come and told, hey, John, this guy is going crazy in this town. So John now writes this letter. He's going to call him out in public. He was sinning in public. John's going to call him out in public. But Diatrophes is going to ignore the Apostle John as well. That, that's hard for me to fathom. You're going to ignore the guy that walked with Jesus, the last remaining apostle. So John goes public over Diatrophes' sin and rebukes him in the presence of all that. The rest also may... Fear. I mean, that's certainly God's heart here because people are going to be influenced either by the heroes in the church or by the zero's way of living. And so something has to happen here. Certainly in the last days, it's all going to be about me. And so Diotrephes' way of thinking would be, oh, yeah, I like this guy teaching me. It's all about me. And, you know, we're not helping people out. You just get out of here. But that's wrong. It's a disease that would spread. I mean, who Diatrophes is, we have no clue. His, main, his name means cherished by Zeus. So maybe he thinks he's a snowflake or something. You know, to me, snowflake was something that came out of the sky, but not anymore because we're just changing truth. Snowflake now is some person that can't deal with reality or something like that, but I guess that's him. The Greek dictionary defines Diatrophes as, this is exactly how it reads, a proud, arrogant Christian Mentioned in 3 John 9. Not exactly what you would want written of you for thousands of years. Elder, diatrophies, snowflake, zero. So John's calling him out to a Holy Ghost showdown. 
And man, if there's any fear of God in this zero's life, he's going to tune in repent. Look at how this reads, verse 10. Therefore, because I've written to him and called him out, if I come, mm, that ought to put the fear of something in you. If I come, I will call to mind his deeds. The atrophy's deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. That means he's talking nonsense. And not content with that, and this is what is so mind-blowing here. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. I mean, can you imagine? Your Christian brother is on the run and you can't or don't want to help him. Okay, that's cool. Maybe you're going out of town or maybe your house is your palace, whatever. But you forbid those in the church that want to help him? And Barry, if you help him, we're going to kick you out. I mean, can you imagine? This is so hard for me to fathom. I mean, this old boy needs a trip behind the barn, Texas style. <laughs> he does. He does. But you know what? This is what happens in the last days when the church becomes self-love and focuses only on themselves. I can see how this could play out. I can't. I, honestly, I can't at all, but I guess I could. Verse 11, Church. Beloved church, God's heart for you and me. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And then with a real simple explanation. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Now, it's kind of a da- obvious to each one of us, right? So don't be like Diotrephes, the zero, and exclude people in your life. Embrace them. Now, that, that might be a challenge to some of us. Because that's really what he's doing. Practically, if we look at it, he wants to exclude people, don't engage people. But God's saying, no, embrace them. Don't be like that. Be like Gaius. Embrace people. See, the worst thing that can happen in a church setting is you get in your little clique, and you're in, and the new person is out, and you don't care. That's ungodly. Church, we don't want to operate that way. we got to fight against that. You know, I love each one of you the same, but I might love those who go out of their way to meet the new person even more. Because you know why? Each one of us has been a new person somewhere before. And that's what Gaius and John would do because that's what Jesus did. He always went out of his way to meet the new person. He who does good is of God. One last hero to read of that no one knows anything about, but God does, and this is really all that matters, team. Verse 12 is what you want written about you. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. So you got Diotrephes, a disaster, and Demetrius has a good testimony from all. And from the truth itself, God's truth is testifying of his godly life. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So one more time to think about this. I don't see any evidence that all the writers of the Bible knew that one day all of their writings was going to be collected into one book. And so as John writes of Demetrius, he's just writing a letter that's inspired by the Holy Ghost. And this is what he writes of him. This is what you and I want written of our lives. God cares of this man's actions. That's why we find his name here. So 
Team, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure by growing in grace and by allowing the nature of God in you to grow and to change you. And then use what God has given you for his kingdom and for his glory. Just like Gaius and Demetrius here. Don't be like Diotrephes. John concludes here, I had many things to write to you. That tells me this was the most pressing, this was the most urgent. I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. Okay, you know, just that's the Apostle John right there. And he's writing this letter to you, and this is what he says. I had a lot to write to you, but I didn't want to do it with pen and ink. You know what that tells me? That tells me he wants to come and have a personal sit-down with you. That's, that's people involved in people's lives. That's what, that's what making disciples is. See, Jesus said, go out and make disciples, preach the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them all things. The only way that can happen is by hanging out. If you look at Jesus' life and his lifestyle, the planned meeting was like 1% of his entire life. 99% was spent out in the fields, on the sea, up on the hillsides. That's the church acting as a family. People involved in each other's lives. Loving, serving, helping, weeping, crying, serving together. I have a lot of other things to write, but this is most pressing. But I hope to see you shortly. I hope Diotrephes hears that and some fear of God settles in his heart. And we shall speak face to face, Gaius. Peace to you. Our Christian, not worldly friends, greet you. You and I are to engage the lost, engage the world, but we're not to love it. You know, in 1 John 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. So we gotta be real careful in who we're hanging out with because if we're not causing them to become more like Jesus, they're gonna cause us to become more like them. You know, I was talking with my daughter on the phone a couple days ago, and I said, do you got people that you work with that kind of have that Texas talk going down? <laughs> I can't remember what she said. Because, I'm, see, you start becoming like them, the people you hang out with. And now she's no longer on the streets, but in this kind of confined setting, you know, and she sees the same six or seven people every day. And, you know, you go to Canada where they say A. I remember the first time I went up there, I was a pagan. It's like, I am not doing that. Next thing you know, he's saying, hey, Barry, eh? <laughs> Whoa, where did that come from? Because it happens. It happens. So this is greet the Christian friends. And then there's this big challenge for all of us this morning. And I want you to think about this. This is the final words of God. Actually, it's the final words of Jesus. Same person. Greet the friends by name. Final words. If this is the last epistle that John wrote, these are the final words of Jesus to his bride. Greet the friends by name. Hey, bro. What's your name again? Uh, <laughs> people use bro, dude, sis, uh, whatever, because they don't know your name. Let's just be honest. You know, it's kind of open the closet door. That's true. Oh, pastor, I am so hard, it's so hard for me to remember names. That's not true. You're lying to yourself. If you were walking in the flesh, 
that could be true. But see, God is calling you and I to greet the friends by name. So that means as we walk in the Spirit, this is extremely possible. I'll use my life as an example. If, and it's a big if in my life, if I have a biblical mindset, and it is, I have to think about it, like, okay, what are you doing here? What am I doing? If I have, if I have this really hard where I want to be able to minister to someone else later, then when they say their name to me, I'm going to remember it. Now, you may write it down. Barry writes them down. I used to write them down all the time when I was in Santa Barbara. You know, too many at one time. You used to write them down. A little word association, some weird thing. That's how my brain would work. I never let anybody find it because, really, you think that about me? No, it's just the first thing that popped in my head. So I wrote it, write it, write it down beside your name. But, but if, if in my heart, if I really want to be able to speak spiritual things into your life, then I'm going to remember your name. I will. But I have to want to. And, and, and me, I have to, before I even meet that person as I'm walking up there, I have to go, Lord, I want to be able to minister to this pe- person. So Lord, help me to, and I don't say those words. It just, it's just a frame of mind. I don't know how else to explain it. So then when I go up and it's like, I meet Steed. That's double E-D for all of you. <laughs> not calling you out. But I do so because then I have an opportunity to speak to him. Because listen, if you're going to seek to make a disciple, you have to know their name. It's critical. You know, you don't grow with, live with somebody and you wake up and go, hey, what's your name? No, you've been living with them for 10, 15, 18 years. No, you know their name. You call them by their name. Yes, I hope we do. See, if that is not my mindset, you know, like, or maybe I got all these things I'm thinking about and someone says, hi, I'm Barry. And then I go, hi, I'm Bruce. Before I even get past that, I forgot his name. I mean, I can't even remember it a second. But it's because I wasn't thinking about making disciples. I was thinking about other stuff. So that's just using my life. But none of us get a pass here. No one can say anymore, oh, I am so bad at names. No, because you have to greet the friends by name. See, if you're trusting in Jesus to get to heaven, then Jesus' final words in person to you and me was to go out and make disciples, teaching all things. But then his final words to you and I in word form are greet the friends by name. So we're, we're under a mandate. We really are. And to make a disciple, you got to know their name. And in order to greet the friends by name, I need to know what it is. Plus, this passage here, it's present tense. It's continually, constantly present tense in our lives, greet the friends by name. But it gets worse. It's in the imperative mood. Which means it is imperative that you meet the fr- greet the friends by name. But it's not just imperative. Whenever it's a, if something's in the imperative mood, it's a command from God. Greet the friends by name. Do it. And as you do that, as you greet the friends by name, that will make you a hero in the eyes of Jesus because that's his final words to us. Okay? Father, we're thankful, God, for your word and all that you want to do in our lives.